On October the 14th, 2003, the Chicago Cubs were leading the Florida Marlins in Game 4 of the National League Division Series. And uh, Cubs fans were getting ready to celebrate. It had been a long drought since their previous trip to the World Series. In fact, they had to go all the way back to 1945 and back to, I think, 1908 before they would have had a, a World Series title. So anyway, there's only five outs to go, and they would have had this thing wrapped up. Then uh, Marlins second baseman Luis Castillo uh, was at the plate. Castillo hit a ball that faded into left field, uh, foul territory. Um, Moises Alou was the left fielder, and so he ran over to where the ball was dropping, reached his glove out. Well, I guess, I don't know if he was left-handed or right-handed. Anyway, reached his glove out to uh, snag the ball, but there was someone there who was intent on getting a souvenir that day. Uh, his name was Steve Bartman, a longtime Cubs fan and uh, Little League coach. So Steve uh, was the only one who got his hand on that ball. Um, Moises Alou was so disgusted, he threw his glove down and uh, started to fume. And the rest of the 41,000 or so people in the stands also began to fume along with Mr. Alou. Um, unfortunately, uh, the Cubs never recovered. Uh, they went on to lose that game as well as game five and game six and game seven. I know that for some of you, this is really torture. Uh, to have to listen to this kind of thing. Uh, but I, I, I really couldn't think of a better story about a scapegoat than this one. See, I, I found it interesting that Cubs fans everywhere uh, would not say that uh, their, their beloved team uh, lost that series uh, because they didn't play well. It was because of Steve Bateman standing there bringing a curse upon the Cubs for his uh, actions and in interfering with uh, that, that foul ball. Well, unfortunately uh, for Steve Bartman, uh, he had to be escorted out of the stadium for his own safety. Um, later, he wrote a letter of apology, an open letter uh, to Cubs management and to Cubs fans everywhere, and uh, begged, pleaded. For forgiveness. Did that help? Uh-uh. <laughs> no way and no how. Uh, he was not going to be getting his forgiveness. That's because Steve Bateman was the scapegoat. And for the scapegoat, see, the scapegoat doesn't receive forgiveness. That the scapegoat bears the, the sins of, of others. And Cubs fans needed a scapegoat, and uh, Steve Bateman was qualified, very well qualified from their point of view, so uh, he, he got the position. But um, as sad as that story is, there is some redemption. After uh, about 13 years, I think 
13 years precisely, wasn't it? Uh, the Cubs had an opportunity to redeem themselves, and uh, this time they, they did uh, earn a trip to the series, and they, they did prevail in the World Series, and perhaps the most exciting World Series ever played. So, uh, you know, there, there's redemption. And there was some redemption for Steve Bateman, too, because the Cubs management decided that when it came time to pass out the World Series ring, Steve Bateman should have one. Um, that's a nice story. Stories of redemption make us feel good. And, uh, you know, we're always looking for redemption. Maybe not in the ways that we should be looking for redemption. Usually the ways we look for redemption is in the way that Cubs fans look for redemption by finding a scapegoat, by transferring all anger <laughs> and wrath and bitterness and disappointment, you know, all of that upon someone uh, who surely would be qualified to, to bear it. Well, in the case of Steve Bateman, redemption came to the scapegoat. But in the story that we are looking at today, as well as a story that it points to, which took place uh, in Jerusalem at Calvary uh, on the crucifixion of, of Jesus Christ, um, there, there is a story of, of redemption uh, to be found in uh, both of the story from Leviticus 16 as well as the story recorded for us in the Gospels. In uh, Leviticus 16, redemption comes not to the scapegoat, but through the scapegoat. And uh, that's why uh, I've chosen this particular uh, passage for us to, to look at this morning. And when uh, the test was announced, and you probably saw that that was coming up uh, last week, if you read the newsletter and uh, your... Uh, listening to Helen read this and you're thinking, how in the world can this apply to my daily life? You know, you, you take uh, uh, the high priest and, you know, he had to prepare for this event 10 days in advance. And that preparation in, involved um, a, a lot of ceremonial cleansing. Uh, there was uh, a, a lot of other ceremony involved with that. There, there were certain garments that he was supposed to wear underneath the, the priestly garments. And then he had to go and make a sacrifice for himself uh, with a bull. And then he had to go in and, and make a, a sacrifice for the other priests. And uh, then he would go and make a, a, a sacrifice on, uh, on behalf of the people. Uh, that was one goat. And then with the other goat, uh, they would separate that goat and uh, place his hands on it, confess the sins of the people, and uh, send the goat out into the wilderness, or we would call it a desert, uh, where it would wander until uh, it was either killed or died in some fashion. So uh, what really is the, the, the message here? The message is that God's forgiveness is so thorough, we can't, believe, we can't begin to imagine it. And so God provided this mechanism uh, for sins of his people to be forgiven so that we can see how elaborate and how deep and uh, how serious uh, this business of 
taking away sins really is. So um, I want to kind of walk us through Leviticus 16. And uh, once we've gone through Leviticus 16 for a little bit, this is going to be unfamiliar territory for a lot of you, I assume. How many of you read Leviticus this week for devotions? Uh, hardly anybody. You know, when we begin a, a new year, many of us think oh, this would be a good time to, you know, read the Bible through the year. So you read through Genesis. I mean, Genesis has a lot of great stories in it. It's, it's uh, packed with action, uh, drama, and intrigue. And uh, you get to Exodus and you have more of the same. And then you come to Leviticus and you come to a screeching halt. And uh, you think maybe you'll get to Leviticus uh, another time. Uh, if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, um, some of the early church fathers says that the, uh, the, the book of Hebrews is really just a very long sermon on Leviticus 16. So you're going to find a lot of... Uh, Leviticus in uh, Hebrews, and this would make sense to the, uh, to the Jewish people. It doesn't make as much sense to us, but if we really want to understand what happened at Calvary, it's going to help to go back to Leviticus 16 and see what's going on here. So uh, here we go. On Yom Kippur, uh, in Hebrew means that the Day of Atonement, the high priest went through this elaborate series of preparations uh, to get him ready, as I have already mentioned. And... Uh, in verse 1, the uh, Lord tells, oh, I've got this up here first. Okay, well, let me go ahead and talk about this. Uh, this, uh, <clears throat> this story, you know, begs for a live goat to be present. I mean, there was a live goat that was present at the Day of Atonement, right? I mean, there's always... Um, a lot of excitement and, and drama when you have live animals. And so I thought, well, th this will be good. I'll, I'll see if maybe I could maybe rent a goat from a local farmer or something and, uh, you know, bring the goat in and uh, maybe have two goats, you know, one that would play the, the part of the sacrificial goat and one that would play the part of the, uh, uh, the, the, the scapegoat. And um, surely the goats would sit there quietly and listen while I, you know, talked about uh, the, the goats and, uh, it occurred to me that that might not happen, uh, but, you know, I'm kind of tight, so um, I actually have a son who uh, has goats. This is a picture of one of his goats. Uh, this is a picture of another one of his goats. My uh, daughter, Elizabeth, is a speech pathologist in a local uh, middle school in the Nashville area, so she, she works with special needs kids all the time, so she decided... Uh, maybe it would be fun to borrow her brother's goats and uh, take them to to school with her. And, uh, and so a week or so ago, uh, that that's what she did. And uh, it was such an astounding success that she said if it was possible for her to be promoted in any way, shape, or form, uh, the goats would have done the trick for her. So, well, Elizabeth is coming home for spring break um, later today. Uh, so I thought, well, maybe I could ask her to come a little early, you know. And I mean, she brought the goats to, to school once. Maybe she'd be willing to do that. And I thought, oh, yeah, I don't know, you know, to drive 250 miles up here with two goats in the back seat. Uh, and you know how kids are. <laughs> you know, they'll be fighting. One of them will be uh, complaining that the other one punched him or, you know, something like that. And... Uh, 
you know, then 250 miles back with, with more of the same stuff. And, you know, you've, you've got kids. You know what it's like, you know, traveling with kids in the, in, in, in the back seat. And, uh, but, but that's not really what tipped the scale for me to give you pictures of goats instead of the real goats. Because those goats, in between the time they got here and the time they would have to go home, would need a place to stay. <laughs> and we do not have a goat pen. And, um, you know, I didn't even ask Kara <laughs> if she would like to have, uh, hey, uh, how would you like for Elizabeth to bring the kids home this weekend? You know? Yeah, well, that would be a little deceptive. But, so, anyway, uh, we're going to have to fill in the blanks in our imagination a little bit here and, you know, see these uh, little, little goats and uh, just imagine what that would have been like. Now, you know, People from the Eastern cultures uh, think and process differently than the way we do here in the West. In the uh, West, uh, we, we process and, and, and we learn uh, by you know, providing definitions and uh, abstract thought, you know, those, those kinds of things. And so, like if we're reading this passage, I might come to you and say that the message of Leviticus 16 is that God thoroughly forgives. Okay, that would be a propositional statement or a, a thesis statement. And uh, then I come up with three or four points to support that. And, you know, that's how the, the Western mind works. But the Eastern mind works a little differently. They like to hear stories. They, they like drama. And so uh, if you read the Bible in uh, the book of Luke, you would come to a section there where Jesus said, um, in so many words, once upon a time, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one came up to him and said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Then I could get all your stuff. Now, he had the, the, the audience hooked with that. Those aren't the exact words that he used, but that is the premise of the, of the parable of the prodigal son. There's something about uh, a, a story uh, a, a picture, an, an, an image that can be created in your head uh, that, that helps you process things in, in a different way. So for me to be able to, to stand up here and say the message is, is very clear that God forgives thoroughly. And uh, that might register to a degree, but how much more would it have registered if I could have brought a couple of live goats in here and talked about uh, you know, how one was sacrificed and how one was... Uh, sins were transferred him and, and uh, he, he became a, uh, the, the, the scapegoat. So with uh, these thoughts in mind, uh, the best thing I can do is uh, show you the pictures and uh, move on with a Western style presentation of what is, is here. Um, so the question comes up, why does God not just forgive? Why, does he, why did he create this mechanism here with the scapegoat and the sacrificial goat? Why did he do that? You see, for God just to, to kind of wave his hand and say, you know, your sins are forgiven, uh, that would seem 
I mean, we'd be great with that. But would we really take our sins that seriously if all it took to forgive sins was for God just to say, you know, your, your sins be forgiven you? Instead, what God wants is for us to be able to get a very clear idea in, 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 our, in our minds, in our, in our souls, of just how extensive, how serious our sins are. And connected with that, he wants us to get a very clear picture of how holy he is. That's why they spent 10 days getting ready for the Day of Atonement, all the ceremonial washings, all the, the preparations uh, that, that were involved. And then you had this dramatic moment, uh, besides all of the, 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 the slayings of the sacrificial animals, uh, when you have this goat that uh, they would bring up and the high priest will lay his hands upon the goat and begin to confess the sins of the people. And it was more than just a symbolic transference of sin to the goat. Uh, the, the sins really were transferred to the goat. Because when the goat was driven out into the desert, never to return, that was a powerful object lesson that God wanted his people to be able to experience. That he has removed their sins from them as far as the east is from the west. That is to say, when that goat leaves here and doesn't come back, you know that your sins are not coming back to haunt you. His forgiveness is thorough. It is extensive. It is deep. It is wide. And all of that is pictured in the mechanism of the scapegoat. Well, you know, with, uh, can you see this very well? I'm not sure I can see it as well from where I am. Um, anyway, Charlie Brown and Lucy are having a, a, a conversation here. And uh, Charlie Brown says something along the line. Uh, it says here that the force of gravitation is 13% less today than it was four and a half billion years ago. Uh, Lucy looks at him and said, whose fault is that? Charlie Brown says, whose fault is it? It's nobody's fault. What do, you mean? what do you mean nobody's fault? It has to be somebody's fault. Somebody's got to take the blame. Find a scapegoat. We're very good at finding scapegoats. In fact, Dwight Eisenhower said, uh, finding a scapegoat is the easiest hunting expedition anyone will ever go on. So we understand blame and the urge to assign blame to, to somebody else. And uh, we also understand guilt. You know, guilt is on the receiving end of blame. So we're, we're not only good at blaming others for stuff, we're also good at, at accepting blame, which results in guilt. So, uh, you know, we feel guilty for things we've done, don't we? And we feel guilty for things that we haven't done, but we thought about doing, right? We feel guilty for having not done enough. And we feel guilty for having done things better than somebody else. There's all kinds of things that we feel guilty for. And so we walk around with 
blame on one hand and guilt on the other, and uh, we, we balance our guilt with our blame. But God says there is a better way to deal with all of your guilt and all of your blame. He will allow you to transfer all of your guilt, all of your blame, and all of your shame to a goat. So once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, a ceremony was held that took away the sin as well as the guilt and the blame that came with sin. And so the high priest goes through the cleansing ceremonies, he offers the appropriate sacrifices for himself, and he takes the two goats, and we uh, read in um, verses 7 and following, Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. Uh, but the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that it may be sent away into the wilderness of Azazel. There are a couple of words here I want you to uh, put on the sticky side of your mind just for a moment. Uh, one is the word lots, the casting of lots. It's sort of like uh, you know, flipping a coin or rolling of the dice. So uh, the, the high priest would uh, cast a lot to see which one of, of the goats was uh, destined for sacrifice and which one was destined to be the, uh, the, the scapegoat. And the other uh, word I, I want you to hang on to just for a little bit is the, the word Azazel. It's uh, translated in the uh, ESV, the uh, Pew Bible, uh, they just translate it from Hebrew in, into English. There's not really a good way to translate uh, that, that word. Uh, but basically, it, it's, it has the idea of, of, uh, of a, a scapegoat uh, or uh, the tote goat, uh, whatever term you, you might want to use. So uh, basically, we're talking about the removal of sin by way of a goat. So, the priest lays his hands on the escaping goat, uh, thus the term scapegoat, and uh, transfers all the sins of the people from the previous year onto the animal. So they would only have their sins forgiven for a year at a time. And the same time next year, they have to do this all over again. Uh, we get down to uh, verses 20 and following. Speaking of the priest, when he made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness." And uh, the goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Yeah. I've got a thumbnail uh, view of what's on the screen. So it'll be like looking at something in two-point font. Um, so that's why... Uh, 
we're having difficulty on the, uh, the, the slides here, but we have someone here who is coming to my rescue, and uh, there we go, nice blank screen. Yeah, that's good. All right. Now, who do you suppose the Jews recruited to be the guy who would take the goat out into the desert? Uh, tradition says that uh, they don't want to get one of their own to, uh, you know, take care of this goat. I mean, this goat is loaded. Uh, you might think of a, a, a goat that's maybe eating a bunch of dynamite as being a, a loaded goat. Uh, or maybe uh, had too much of an alcoholic beverage to drink. That might be a loaded goat. Uh, but uh, here we, we, we've got a goat that's got all the sins of the people that's been transferred to it. And so if, if you're taking this goat out and... Uh, Somehow or another, the goat comes back to you, then all the sins of, of the people are going to come back on you. So you know, Jews didn't want to do that, so uh, they recruited a Gentile to do it. <laughs> uh, Gentiles, you know, they wouldn't really care about that too much anyway. Uh, so uh, you know, they drive that goat out into the desert somewhere, and um, often what they would do is take the goat to the edge of a cliff and throw it down uh, to, to make sure that it wouldn't come back. Because you know you don't want your sins coming back haunting you. You want to make very sure that the goat does not return. So, uh, I'll see if I can find a, a, a picture here. Here we go. You'll notice on this particular goat, this was a, a rather famous uh, painting by someone whose name I don't remember. Famous guy, though. I just don't remember his name. But, um, nonetheless, it does depict what happened on the Day of Atonement. Uh, the priest would take a, 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 a red cord or a, a, a rope or a, a ribbon and um, wrap it around the goat's horns. And it would look sort of like a circle uh, that would, or a crown maybe, that, that sat on top of the, uh, the, the, the goat's head. And so uh, this is uh, worth noting uh, because this, again, is an object lesson to help the Hebrew people to understand uh, that you know how the uh, prophet Isaiah said, Come now let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And so uh, scarlet is uh, symbolic of, of sin. And so you have this red cord here on the goat's head. And uh, that's an indication here that, uh, that the sins have come to rest on the, the, the goat's head. So... The high priest goes through the, the ritual, transfers the, the, the sins of the people to the, the goat, and um, then they drive the, the goat into the wilderness, never to return again. That's the Day of Atonement. They did this year after year after year. Well, what has this got to do with us? Uh, I'll let you look at the picture of the goat for a moment. There is a common practice among the Hebrews that when the high priest transferred the sins of the people to the goat, uh, symbolized there by that red cord, uh, that they would drive the goat out with thorns and with reeds, making sure it was out from among the people, outside the camp, out into the desert. And as they were driving the, 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 the goat away, uh, they would say in Hebrew, 
away with him, which the Hebrew word here is Azazel. And so they'll be fully engaged in driving the goat out from among themselves. Now, I want to take us to what the Day of Atonement points to. There is a particular day when it was appointed for Passover lambs uh, to be selected. That would have been Palm Sunday. And then on Friday, the appointed time was for the Passover lambs to be slain. And so Jesus, on Lamb Selection Sunday, he is fulfilling the role of the Passover lamb. And it would seem that that would be plenty. But God wants to communicate the message, not just that your, your sins are forgiven. That's not strong enough for God. He wants to demonstrate in ways that you cannot believe anything else other than this fact that your sins are so thoroughly forgiven that you're going to have to experience it to understand it, just how deep it is. So we come to uh, John chapter 19. Jesus is standing before Pilate. He's the, the Roman governor. Jesus' own community has said that he's guilty and he must be killed. And they've taken what they say is guilt and they've placed it upon Jesus. And so Pilate has Jesus flogged with reeds and with whips. The soldiers twisted together a crown made of thorns. And if you were to take a crown of thorns and fashion it in, in such a way that it would fit upon a person's head and then press it down into the person's head, what color would that ring be around the head? Are you beginning to picture what's going on here? This is Passover, but it looks an awful lot like the Day of Atonement. All of this is coming together. The story of redemption is coming together, something that the Jews have practiced for couple of thousand years. And now they are becoming active participants as Jesus is led out by Gentiles, sent out by a Gentile, Pontius Pilate. We come to verse 15 in John chapter 19. They cried out, fill in the blank. What did the people cry out? Away with him. Yeah. Usually the first thing we think is crucify him. But you're right. Before they said that, it's away with him. Azazel, Azazel. Not only does this sound mysterious, it's also haunting. Did they have any idea that they were participating in this drama of the ultimate scapegoat, the ultimate Passover lamb, 
all at once. He is being sacrificed for the sake of the people. That God wants his people to see how thoroughly our sins are forgiven because of this. Now, you know, I wasn't able to, or unwilling might be a, as good a word too, to bring live goats in here so that we could have, um, um, you know, an, an object lesson. So uh, I've lost that shock value with you. So I'm going to have to do the best thing I can do is, is, is now say something that's kind of shocking. You ready for it? Apart from the wrath of God, there is no forgiveness of sins. If there were, all God would have to do is every year, <laughs> Day of Atonement, wave his hand. Your sins are forgiven for another year. Have a good year. He didn't do that. Demonstrated in vivid, graphic form what it takes to pronounce forgiveness. When we think of the penalty for sin, you know, we, we, we understand that the Bible says that apart from the, the shedding of, of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And when we picture Jesus on the cross, you know, that resonates with us. But, but there, there, there's something that carries over from the Day of Atonement that maybe we don't pick up on but we should. And that is this. Not only did Jesus bear the penalty of our sins and pay for it with his blood, do you know what else he paid for? All the blame we place upon ourselves, upon each other, all the guilt that comes from having done wrong or having thought about having done wrong but not really having done it or for not doing enough or for doing something better than somebody else. You know, the, 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 the list goes on. But God wants us to know that he forgives sin so thoroughly that not only are we released from the penalty of sin, we are also released from the emotional duress that comes from sin. So we are released from the penalty. We're also released from the guilt and from the blame and the shame that comes along with sin. And all of this happens at the same time where Jesus represents the Passover lamb, where he represents the sacrificial goat, where he represents the, uh, the, the, the scapegoat. But that's not all that he represents because he is also our high priest. He is officiating at his own sacrifice. No one takes my life from me, he said, but I lay it down on my own. We come to a section in John chapter 19. This is when Jesus is on the, the cross. Remember, there was a 
few minutes ago, I asked you to remember the reference there to lots being cast uh, to determine which goat is sacrificed and which goat is going to be the scapegoat. Well, here in this situation, after Jesus has been affixed to the cross, the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. How could someone whose history is at least 2,000 years old and the casting of lots to determine the Sacrificial goat from the scapegoat, not be able to see this. There's a lot of things you can't see until you go back later and look at it through the lens of fulfilled scripture. And this is a tremendous advantage that we have. All of this so that God can communicate this message. Your sins are forgiven. Thoroughly. You know how thoroughly they are forgiven? It's measured by the thoroughness of the force of the wrath that the Father brings down upon his Son. And he did that for us. I want to go to the uh, 20th chapter of, of John. This is on the resurrection Sunday morning. The apostles, John and Peter, have uh, gone to, to see if uh, what the women have talked about is really true. In verse 5, we see them stooping to look in. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, but did not go in. This is, is John. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there if, uh, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloths but folded up in a place by itself. Now I want to come back here to Leviticus chapter 16. Keep in mind here the linen cloths. Okay. Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. Do you see the connection? Connection is this, in John chapter 20, when Peter and John find the linen cloths lying there, it is an indication that our high priest has completed the atonement, and he no longer has need of these linen cloths. So he places them there for us to see. Our forgiveness is complete. It is thorough beyond all that we could think or imagine. And so God provided this wonderful book of Leviticus for us who would come along later, Gentiles, and be able to put the pieces together so that we might have our sins forgiven as far as the east is from the west. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song and we're going to come around the table. This is the table of remembrance that points back to the 
to the, the night that Jesus was betrayed before he was crucified. It also points back to the, the altar um, that was in use among the Jews uh, prior to, to Jesus' coming. The message of the table, sometimes referred to as the altar, has been constant throughout the generations. The forgiveness of God is thorough. It is so thorough that the wrath of God which came to rest upon Jesus indicates just how thorough. Let's pray together. Lord, as we pause here this moment after having um, walked through uh, scriptures from Leviticus and from the gospel according to John, we see how the, the, the pieces fit together, how how the Day of Atonement was fulfilled at Calvary and how the, the scapegoat uh, how we've been given the ultimate scapegoat so that we may know that when we come to worship when we come around the table to participate in this covenant meal we may know that our sins are not just rolled back for another year they are gone they're all gone as far as the east is from the west so far have you removed our sins from us through Christ our Redeemer we pray. Amen.